Welcome to the Thrive Church Podcast. Listen anytime you miss a service or want to hear a message again from our Sunday worship services and select special services. Lead Pastor Brian Bauer, as well as guest speakers, will bring messages that will help you encounter God, love people. Join us for a virtual service on Facebook Live at Encounter Thrive. Or for those comfortable, we'd love to have you for our in-person services Sundays at 10. To learn about us, what we believe, how to connect, how to give, or how to find us, visit the all-new EncounterThrive.com. And now, here is our message. Lord, we just invite you into these moments, God, as we reflect on you, as we focus on what you've done for us. Your word says where two or three are gathered, you are there with them. God, and we know you're already here, but make us aware of your presence, God, that you are with us, that you are speaking, and that you paid the ultimate price. Let us understand to a greater measure how you bought us tonight. Jesus' name, let us leave with admiration, appreciation, and expectation for Sunday. In Jesus' name, you may be seated. So tonight, we're just going to talk through what does it mean, what happened, and mainly just focus in on Isaiah 53. Isaiah actually has the most prophecies about Jesus than any other book written four or five hundred years before Christ's birth. And Jesus fulfills every one of them. What Jesus goes through is almost unthinkable. And what it means for us is even more unbelievable. Isaiah 53, my servant grew up in the Lord's presence like a tender green shoot, like a root in dry ground. There was nothing beautiful or majestic about his appearance, nothing to attract us to him. So first and foremost, you need to understand Jesus is not a good-looking guy by the world's standards. Right now, if you turn on every mega church, every guy's just about ripped. You can see his abs and and, and uh, thousands flock and every, every week to hear somebody say how awesome they are, that they're enough. And yet that's really not the message of Jesus. He comes unattractive. Because he doesn't want to be seen and draw crowds by his charisma. But by the message of the gospel. He wants them to hear what he's saying and not be enamored by his exterior. He was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows acquainted with the deepest griefs. We turned our backs on him and looked the other way. He was despised and we did not care. When God came down, nobody caught it. So many of us think we'd be there on the day Jesus died and we'd be like, no! But nobody did that. Matter of fact, even when Jesus was born, his parents were like, are you sure? This doesn't sound right. The truth is, if Jesus showed up in most of our lives, we would pass him by. 
but he knew that would happen. He was, our weakness was carried. He, it was our sorrows that weighed him down. And we thought his troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment for our own sins. In the Garden of Gethsemane, after the Last Supper, after their Passover meal, they go to pray. And you say, yeah, that's this night. Actually, it was last night. <laughs> Today would have been the day Jesus was crucified. Passover, anybody who's Jewish knows, began last night. All right? I'm right. What's the Passover? The Passover is, in, in, in Jewish custom, from the Bible, out of the book of Exodus, when God sets his people free out of Egypt, there's one final judgment. He's poured out nine judgments. One more would be coming on the people of Egypt. And that judgment would be, unless the blood is on your doorpost of an innocent lamb, the firstborn of all your livestock and all your children will pass away, will die. Meaning, in a sense, your line would end. And the only thing that will protect you, even the people of Israel, is the blood of the Lamb on the door. Jesus becomes the blood of the Lamb. He is the Lamb of God on the night of the Passover. And he is betrayed. He has a last supper. And one of his disciples, who's been with him for, for three years, one of the twelve, now, Jesus had crowds of thousands, but one of the 12 sells him out for 30 silver pieces, about the equivalent of a year's wages. He literally trades three years of his life for one. And it's proof. He's seen Jesus raise people from the dead. He was there. He watched Lazarus come out. He's seen the blind sea. He watched him walk on water. And he sells him out. And at this meal, Jesus raises the bread and he says, one will betray me. But he extends the bread to him first. Many theologians actually think that means the first to eat in a meal, especially the Passover meal, was considered the highest honor, the guest of honor. Jesus, in one last moment to Judas, cries out, don't do this. My plan will be accomplished without you, Judas. Don't do this. You're my friend. Now what's amazing is Judas has been stealing from Jesus for years. It's said so in the Bible. That's some God who says, I'm going to make the guy who steals from me my accountant. And at the very last moment, he gives him a shot. Judas, don't. And his friend betrays him and he tears the bread and he pours the wine. And then afterwards they go to pray and they go to the Garden of Gethsemane, which means it, it was an olive, uh, olive press. Gethsemane means olive press. It was a place. How do you get oil out of an olive? You press it. You squeeze it. 
We go to Walmart and we choose which 27 types of olive oil do I want to buy. But the truth is one olive, when you squeeze it, so many ounces. Jesus goes to the Garden of Gethsemane, begins to pray, and he begins to feel the pressure of the weight of the sin of the world begin to come upon him. He is being squeezed, and he ends up suffering a thing called hematidrosis. The Bible says he begins to sweat drops of blood. It's a medical condition that very few, if any of us have probably ever experienced, that is so severe your body begins to go into shock from all the, shock, from all the trauma and stress he's going under. He's feeling the pain. But more than that, he's feeling the weight of the sin of all mankind begin to come upon him in the garden. And the best part is, when he goes to check on his friends, they're sleeping. He just asks them to pray, and they can't do it. Come on, God, it's late. Come on, Jesus, it's, it's, it's just the Passover. What's the big deal? Until Judas shows up with a small army. What's happening to Jesus is the worst is coming upon him for the worst that is in us. He's giving the best of him so we get the best of him. He is beginning to trade places. He is taking our place. Rightfully, we all deserve what Jesus has got. In this moment, as, as you read through this, he is despised and rejected. You ever felt rejected? Jesus took that. Have you ever felt despised? Jesus took that up. Have you ever felt passed over, ugly, less than, unattractive to the world? Jesus took that. Have you ever felt so pressed you couldn't bear the weight? Jesus took it. And he took it for you and me so we could be comforted, so we could be helped. He becomes unattractive to make us beautiful. He becomes despised and rejected so we could be accepted. He identifies with us and then rectifies things for us. I cast my mind to Calvary where Jesus bled and died for me I see his wounds his hands his feet my savior on the cursed tree oh praise the Oh, pray.
Verse 5, he was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. That night he's taken and he's put on trial. He's put on mock trials in kangaroo courts and he's accused of a hundred different things and none of the stories match up, but it doesn't matter because tonight isn't about trials. Tonight's about an execution. You see, they had to have him crucified and dead before the sun went down on this day because today the Sabbath begins during Passover and we can't kill innocent men during holy days. And they put him through this trial, and then they tie him up, and they blind him, and they punch him, and they're like, prophesy, who hit you? They try and get him to admit his guilt. Did you say he would overthrow the king? Did you say you'd overthrow Rome? Are you the son of God? And Jesus says yes in so many words, but he kind of puts it back on them at the same time, and he says, it's as you say. They finally bring him before Pilate, who's just a political animal doesn't want to be in the city. It's a junk post. For a reigning kingdom, he's thrown in this outskirts with these people they look down upon and trying to oversee them, and he can't stand them. And they bring before Jesus, and they try and convince him, kill him. Jesus, uh, Pilate tries really hard, I, I don't want to do this. I don't need this kind of problem. See, he's a politician. Politicians don't like making decisions. They like winning elections. Jesus isn't a politician. He's willing to face whatever he has to. Matter of fact, at one point, Pilate actually sends him back to Herod. Herod mocks him and sends him back to Pilate again. Pilate eventually says, fine, you know what? You want to? I'll, I'll have him beaten. I'll take care of him. And he takes him, and they take him to beat him, and they take what's a cat of nine tails. So what they've done at this point is they kept him awake all night. They've accused him. They've lied about him. They've betrayed him. They mocked him. And then begins the beating or the scourging. Romans were unbelievably inventive about torture. And they would take a man and they would take both his hands and attach it to a post. And they had a whip called a cat of nine tails. And there were strips of leather. And at the end of those strips of leather were tied pieces of rock, bone, glass, broken clay. And what they would do is they would strip him naked put them on there, and they would take their soldiers who are the strongest and best in the world. They dominate the world. And they would beat him. What would happen is these balls of lead, as they whipped him, would start beating his flesh like a meat tenderizer. It was designed so that eventually what would happen is they beat him over and over that his flesh becomes so soft that the glass and the bone begin to catch in the skin. And at that point, they would twist it and they would rip it out, leaving his skin in ribbons. 
exposing the tissue and the organs. Massive blood loss. It says in versions of the Bible that he was unrecognizable. Some modern medicine uh, says that it's akin to somebody taking a 12-gauge shotgun to your back at point-blank range. And Jewish law was 39 lashes or 40 lashes. But Jesus wasn't beaten by Jews. He was beaten by Romans. And their law was as close to death as possibly visible. Jesus' stripes, it says here, was for your healing. The worst upon him for the best to us. He is a healer. And if this moment doesn't make you believe in healing, nothing will. Great testimonies of healing are powerful. We just heard one last Sunday. But this is the greatest testimony. That he is a healer of all wounds, inside and outside. We're in a series right now. It gets better. It became the worst for him, so it could get better for us. How could I ever be healed from this past, God? Right here. How could I ever be healed of this disease? Right here. How could I ever be healed from this grief? It's right here. And sometimes it's over many years, and sometimes it's miraculous, sometimes it's through medicine, and sometimes it's through meeting him face to face. But he is a healer. And if you don't believe that, if you don't believe in the story of the cross, he was wounded for our iniquities. All of us, like sheep, have strayed away. We've left God's paths to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. He was oppressed and treated harshly, yet he never said a word. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and a sheep is silent before the shears. He didn't open his mouth. Unjustly condemned, he was led away. No one cared that he died without descendants, or that his life was cut short midstream. He was struck down for the rebellion of people. He had done no wrong and had never deceived anyone. He was buried like a criminal and put in a rich man's grave. In this moment, he's treated like a criminal. The worst is happening to him for the worst in us. They take his beard, Isaiah 50 says, and they rip it off his face. Sign of manhood in Judaism. We're robbing you of your stature in society. And by the time this beating was done, he's awake, he's all night, He's mocked about, lied about, dehydrated, and now massive blood loss. And you can't even recognize him. And then finally, he brings him before the people. Pilate does. He says, here we go. I can't, you know, I can't do this. And they, they say, after all of this, trade us for Barabbas, a treasonous murderer. Jesus literally takes the place of the worst of humanity. As an example to all of humanity, this is what I'm doing for you.
him and cause him grief. Yet when his life is made an offering for sin, he will have many descendants, he will enjoy a long life, and the Lord's good plan will prosper in his hands. When he sees all that's accomplished by his anguish, he'll be satisfied. And because of his experience, my righteous servant will make it possible for many to be counted righteous. He'll bear their sins. He'll give him the honors of a victorious soldier because he exposed himself to death, he was counted among the rebels. He bore the sins of many and interceded for rebels. After all this, they decide we're going to crucify him. Crucifixion was such an unbelievably horrible death. It's actually where we get our word excruciating meaning from the cross. The Romans were such a sick and twisted people, but after so much time, even they realized, this is so disturbing, we can't do it anymore. Finally, they take Jesus and they take a, somewhere between a one and 200 pound beam, like an oak tree. They've taken now a crown of thorns and they've placed it on his head and jammed it in. They've taken a cloth and they've thrown it over his back, mocking him as king. And then they would rip the cloth back off all the while it's attached itself to the back, thinking the, Bible, the body thinks it's tissue. And every time they rip it back off, it's excruciating. And finally they take this beam and they throw it on his back and it's an unbelievable weight. And they say, we're going to charge uphill and you're going to carry it. Somewhere along the way, Jesus can no longer uphold the weight of it and keep moving forward. And they give it to a man, Simon, who helps him carry the rest of the way. Some have said, Simon carried Jesus' cross. But the truth is, Jesus was carrying Simon's cross. 
they finally get to the top and they lay it down and they throw Jesus on top of it. And they lay his arms out. Maybe they tied him to it. We don't really know. Sometimes they did. Sometimes they did. And it says they pierced his hands and his feet. Now, they've actually done experiments on this. And, and some, have saw, uh, some have thought that Jesus' hands were pierced here. And most likely not. The human body can't uphold that type of weight in crucifixion. Uh, the body can't be held. It would just tear your hand out. But in Jewish language, the hand would mean all the way down the forearm. So somewhere around the wrists or forearms, they would drive something between a seven and nine inch spike like railroad ties through the arms, through both of your bones in your arms so that the weight of the body could be held up. And then they put one foot over the other and did the same and they would bend the legs in such a way so that eventually whenever they had to, most people in crucifixion would die from asphyxiation. They would choke to death. They would run out of air. They couldn't breathe anymore because the weight of our rib cage, uh, your rib cage would collapse down on your lungs so that you had to pull yourself up to take a breath. And for three hours, that's what our Savior did. They put a sign on top of the cross in mockery, the king of the Jews. Not realizing the whole time that is who he is. Not just of the Jews, but of the whole world. All his friends have abandoned him. The only ones still there are his mother, Mary Magdalene, and one disciple, John. And they just watch their Savior. They lift him up off the ground. They're probably a series of ropes. And then they take that weight of the cross and it drops into a hole. Somewhere between one and three feet. And all of the weight comes crashing down. And for three hours, Jesus endures. And every time he has to take a breath, he puts all his weight on those nails. And his back rubs against this open tree to breathe in and then collapse down and crash down on those nails over and over and over and over. Most people of crucifixion just end up dying because their body just can't do it anymore. But that's not how Jesus dies because that's not what would fulfill prophecy. Eventually, what some would do is they would break their legs so that they couldn't pull themselves up anymore and they would have to suffocate. But to fulfill prophecy, as Proverbs, I believe, says, not a bone in his body would be broken. And so in that moment, instead of breaking his knees, they grab a spear. And they go up underneath his ribcage, up to his heart, which over the last 12 to 15 hours has lost blood, lost oxygen, and is completely dehydrated. So the heart can't pump blood. And a sack begins to build up in his heart of blood and water. And this, pierce, and this spear goes all the way up to the heart and pierces that sack, and the Bible says, and the blood and the water flowed. And in that moment, 
God literally and supernaturally for the sake of the world dies of a broken heart. on that cross, Jesus pulls himself up for the final time. And he says several things through those hours. But the last thing he says, it is finished. Tonight's not about grief. Tonight's not about losing our Savior. Tonight's about what our Savior did. That we could never buy never pay and never earn. Thank you so much for spending some time with us. We hope this message spoke to you and helped you grow in your knowledge of and love for God. Visit us online anytime at EncounterThrive.com and reach out with questions, prayer requests, or comments. We hope to see you for our in-person services in Lockport, Illinois, Sundays at 10. Oh,